This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the Church always invites us during the season of Lent to reflect on this extraordinary event of the transfiguration of Jesus. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, there are three great mountain scenes. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up on the height and he teaches his disciples. The last one is the crucifixion that takes place on Mount Calvary. And then there's one in the middle, when Jesus goes up a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and there before them he is transfigured. His face becomes dazzlingly white. What do we see now in these scenes? The three literal and symbolic high points of the gospel. It's as though Matthew is saying to us now, look, here there's something of great importance to be seen. The first one when Jesus lays out his great spiritual and ethical program. The last one when he dies for our sins. And then this middle one, when something of great significance is revealed. Just a few weeks ago, I was in California and I met a man now in his late 70s. When he was a very young man, about 18 or 19, he was a fighter pilot during World War II. And he found himself stationed in Italy, not far from the town where Padre Pio's monastery was. Of course, Padre Pio was the great stigmatist, the great um, miracle worker. He and a friend, another Catholic, heard about Padre Pio, and they decided to go over and see him. They got there in time for his morning Mass, and they were invited to serve his Mass. He said as they knelt there during the two-hour morning Mass, because Padre Pio prayed in a very devout, meditative way, he said at the consecration, as Padre Pio lifted up the body of Christ, he saw around his hands and around the host a glow of light. Many years later, he said, he was watching a program on auras, some people claim they can see an aura around certain, especially holy people. And he said to his wife, that's it. That's what I saw that day around the hands of Padre Pio. Another story is told about Malcolm Muggeridge. Malcolm Muggeridge was a British journalist and writer who late in life became a very devout Catholic convert and then did a series of videos and shows on Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Well, he was filming Mother Teresa in the course of several days, and one day the electricity went down or there was a malfunction in the equipment, and they couldn't get light to illumine the scene. His colleague said, well, we just can't film today. Muggeridge said, well, go ahead and film, and let's just see what happens, see what we get. He said when the film was developed, they saw something remarkable. The scenes that were not illumined by any artificial light nevertheless had this extraordinary glow about them. Ann Muggeridge said, and you know, he was no flighty person. He was a very hard-nosed, kind of realistic man. He said, somehow the light wasn't coming from the outside. 
the light in these scenes seemed to be coming from her. The Shroud of Turin, traditionally the burial cloth of the crucified Jesus, bears, as you know, these famous marks, these mysterious marks, which constitute a sort of photographic negative of the body of Jesus. Where did they come from? What are they? Well, scientists over the past many years have experimented and they've speculated. They know for sure they're not paint marks, they're not produced in any of the normal artificial ways. The best the scientists come up with is this. There's something like a scorch. The result of a burst of radiant energy, of light energy, if you will. How often, too, in the Bible, this motif of light, intense light in association with holy people comes up. Moses sees the face of God on Mount Sinai. He returns to his people and they say his hair and his face shone like the sun. They were radiant. Isn't it curious, too, in depictions of the saints? What's the commonest sign? Well, it's that halo of light around their heads. What does all this mean from this man who saw light around the hands of Padre Pio to the light coming from the face of Moses to the light of Jesus on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration? Thomas Aquinas says this, Jesus was transfigured in order to allow his disciples to see in the middle of their difficult and painful journey, the beauty of the goal. They saw where they were going, the glory of heaven, and that gave them confidence to continue on the way. Christians, this world, we believe, is real, but not ultimately real. It's beautiful and good and true, but it's not ultimately beautiful, good, and true. In fact, it's a kind of symbol of a world that is much richer, more perfect, more intensely real. I think in all of these scenes, in the Bible and in people's experience of the saints, what we witness is this. In certain great moments and in certain great people, it's as though the intensity and beauty of that other world shines through. You know, poets and mystics see it on a regular basis. Most of us, though, have to wait for these key moments, for these especially sainted people. And in them, suddenly the light shows through. We see the beauty and the glory and the intensity of a world beyond this one. Listen now, a world toward which we are all tending, the world which is the goal of all of the struggles and achievements and attainments of this life. In the midst of his public life, as he's making his way toward Jerusalem, Jesus allows Peter, James, and John to see this light, this burst of energy, this sign of a world beyond. What else can we say about it? I think this story gives us a clue as to the best place here and now to look for the light.
I've often said this, that in the gospel scenes, we have a kind of icon, a sort of sacred picture being painted. And here's a very good example of it. As Jesus is transfigured on top of the mountain, he becomes dazzlingly white. What do the disciples do? Matthew tells us that they fell down in fear. They assume, in other words, an attitude of worship. What is worship? But it's an acknowledgement of God's transcendence and beauty and perfection. And in the presence of that, we fall down, acknowledging our own humility. So at the liturgy, we fall on our knees at key moments to signal this beauty and transcendence. This Mount of Transfiguration is a kind of liturgical site. It's meant to remind us of the Mass, of the place that we encounter the light of the world beyond this one. Let me continue sort of painting this picture. As Jesus is transfigured, who stands on either side of him? There's Moses and there's Elijah. Moses was the lawgiver, the one to whom God revealed the law, the Torah. Elijah, he was the greatest of the prophets. With Jesus are the law and the prophets. If you talk to a Jew of Jesus' time, he would refer to the what we call the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. It meant the whole of God's revelation. Moses and Elijah here sum it up. What's being said? Jesus throws light on and is himself illumined by these great texts of the law and prophets that came before him. What do we do at the Mass? We read from the law and from the prophets. We read these great Old Testament accounts. As Jesus there is transfigured with Moses and Elijah, we are meant to be reminded of the liturgy. Jesus throwing light on those ancient texts, those ancient texts throwing light on him. How beautifully Matthew expresses it. They were conversing with each other. Listen, that's what happens at the Mass. Christ conversing with the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. What else can we see in this great scene? I think Moses and Elijah also stand for the communion of saints. By Jesus' time, Moses and Elijah had been long dead, centuries dead. Yet, there they are with him, engaged in lively conversation. We believe that at the sacred liturgy, it is not just our community that gathers. It is the whole communio sanctorum, the whole communion of saints, long dead, long gone from our vision, from this earth, from this world, yet present in the light of Jesus, in the light of this transcendent world that breaks through. When we worship, we worship in that great communion, which is why we say, just before the Eucharistic prayer, remember? May our voices blend with theirs. And then we pray, holy, holy, holy. Well, who is the there that we're talking about? May our voices blend with theirs. Well, it's the voices of the saints and the angels. 
We don't think they're distant figures far removed from us. We think they are there, present at the liturgy. Yes, illumined by Christ as we are, gathered with us around the mystery of Jesus. What else can we see? This scene is also a beautiful revelation of the Trinity. Much like the scene of the baptism of the Lord. Here we have Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And a voice calls out, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. There's the voice of God the Father. And then Matthew tells us there's a bright cloud. What's the bright cloud? That's a symbol of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit are disclosed in this great moment. In the liturgy, we are surrounded by the saints and angels. We fall down in worship. We see the light of a world beyond this one. And we stand in the presence of the Holy Trinity, drawn into its life. How's the liturgy begin? With the sign of the cross, invoking Father, Son, and Spirit. As you move through the prayers of the liturgy, what do you hear over and over again? Addressing the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. The whole liturgy is Trinitarian in its structure. All this on display in this great story. How about one last step? As they gaze into the light of the world beyond. Peter says, Lord, let me build three booths here. Let's stay here and relish the beauty of this moment. And Jesus says, no. They come back down the mountain and they resume their walk toward Jerusalem. At the end of the sacred liturgy, when we have seen the light, we've seen through to the next world. We're given courage by that. We're not meant to stay in that place, not meant to stay at that moment. But rather at the end of Mass, the priest says, go, the Mass has ended. Go forth to love and to serve the Lord. See? Having seen the light, good. Now we have courage, as Aquinas said. We know the goal. We have courage to continue. Now we come back down the mountain to continue the work of the Lord. Christians, look for the light wherever you can find it, in saints, in great events, holy people. Look above all for the light in the liturgy, and then do the work of the Lord. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.